I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's episode is a lecture given by Dr. Kasper Obstrup at the conference Rewriting the Future, 100 Years of Esoteric Modernism and Psychoanalysis. This talk was first presented on May 30th, 2019, and is titled Myths of the Near Future, Radicalizing Body and Mind. Dr. Kasper Obstrup is a writer and researcher based in Copenhagen. He is the Danish translator of, among others, Alexander Chocchi and William Burroughs, and is currently finishing a monograph with the tentative title, An Imaginary Kingdom in the Wastelands of the Real, on art, esotericism, and the politics of hope. His most recent book is The Way Out, Invisible Insurrections and Radical Imaginaries in the UK Underground from 1961 to 1991, published by Minor Compositions in 2017. Dr. Ostrup will be joining us for our next Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult event at Morbid Anatomy Museum online this Sunday, November 21st. He will be presenting How Weird Is That? on the revival of weird fiction alongside Icy Sedgwick, who will be presenting The Face of Fear, Faces in Gothic Horror Films. To register, visit Morbid Anatomy's website at morbidanatomy.org events. You can also visit the Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult website at psychartcult.org. That's P-S-Y-C-H-A-R-T-C-U-L-T dot org. You can follow him at Twitter and Instagram at Casper Obstrup. That's K-A-S-P-E-R-O-P. S-T-R-U-P. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at rawsin underscore, that's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. Rendering Unconscious is also a book, Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry, from Chapart Books 2019. For more information, you can visit our publisher's website, chapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa 23 Carl. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A 2-3-C-A-R-L. 
Your support is very appreciated. Thank you so much for supporting Rendering Unconscious Podcast and all of my other creative endeavors. Thank you. Um, yeah, I actually I want to talk uh, not really about uh, any of the topics mentioned, but talk about some of my current research themes. So um, yeah, I have a paper, and I'll uh, sure I, we can put it up as a background. Uh, I'll talk about this image a bit later, just very quickly. Um, but yeah, um, what I'm trying to speculate around is this notion of that, which comes from both esotericism and the counterculture, that we need to radicalize body and mind. So basically, my current research themes for the next couple of years, which is connected to an exhibition, are centered around looking at what political and cultural futures that appear if we make a utopian investment in the human instead of the state. And this means that I want to address the human body and the human mind as speculative sites for utopian investments, which are uniquely relevant in an age where state-centric utopias, as in sort of like socialism, anarchism, communism, seem to have failed and paths not moving toward the cybernetic brutality of multinational capital appear to be exhausted, so as to open some sort of more imaginative or speculative path. Uh, so, traditionally, when we talk about utopia and the future, we're thinking about the world to come as a question of organization. But utopia is not only a place, it is also a method of imagining schemes, spaces, objects that, through the power of fantasy and desire, inspires change in the real world without actually arriving from the fantastic into the real, as a theoretic named Frederick Jameson has written in Extend About. So what I am particularly interested in these notions of sort of like articulating uh, how to radicalize the body, how to radicalize the mind to become something else, is a notion of the cosmic, as it has appeared in art, politics and esotericism in the past, say, 150 years, so around the time from the first occult revival around spiritualism um, and forward. Um, this cosmic articulates a vision of utopia um, by projecting a particular configuration of, one, on the one hand, techno-scientific knowledge, and on the other hand, ideological hopes into a specific program for action. So, um, at the same time, part of my interests around these topics engages some of the sort of major academic discourses at the moment, which include sort of like post- and transhumanism and these uh, uh, notions of the Anthropocene and a notion about a kind of cosmopolitics that I'm trying to evolve or try to sort of like come to terms with what could a cosmopolitics be. Uh, and at the same time, it's organizing this whole sort of of a swath of 
uh, 20th century intellectual history. So it's avant-garde modernism, it's science fiction or SF speculative fabulation, and at the same time it's also looking at sort of evolutionary biology and post-structural philosophy. So all helping to create this shift away from the state to the body as a needed site of utopian investment. So to engage today with this sort of engaged feel of the cosmic that I'm interested in, I've chosen to focus on two specific case studies. On the one hand, there's this thing called Russian cosmism, which is this sort of peak modernist moment of the 1880s to the 1920s, or 1920s, 1910s, uh, and a U.S. counterpart of the 1980s primarily, or the counterculture, which is called SMILE. So those two, I want to talk about SMILE, it's by the way an acronym, so it's Space Migration, Increased Intelligence and Life Extension, which also strove for this sort of like cosmic or cybernetic or maybe integral consciousness. Um, and shared between these two examples is this vision of a coming cosmic post-humanity, or more simply put, a new type of humanity created by various inner and outer technologies. So to begin with, I'm going to address this I'm calling radicalizing the body. Um, in the fabulations of William Burroughs, Robert Anton Wilson and a host of other writers connected to the countercultural milieus of the 1960s and 70s, there is this consistent idea that we need to willfully evolve the body in order to be, to be able to leave this planet uh, and one way or the other, live in space, that it's sort of our destiny to have a future, that the human, humanity's future is in space, inner or outer. Um, it, is an, it is an idea that in, in order to survive, we must mutate to become more than what we are, and that our species' future may lie in deep space. This idea can be tracked back to at least the occult revival of the mid-19th century and is closely connected to the themes and ideas of Russian cosmism. Russian, Russian cosmism was initiated in the early 20th century with Nikolai Fyodorov's What is Man Created For? The philosophy of the common task that was posthumously published in 1906. And Cosmism is a kind of esoteric futurism. It's an avant-garde thinking in the borderland between art, mysticism, politics, and science based on this idea about active evolution, uh, that man consciously can become more than what she, he is. Uh, George Young has written a monograph about cosmism and defines it as a controversial and oxymoronic blend of, quote, activist speculation, futuristic traditionalism, religious science, exoteric esotericism, utopian pragmatism, or and idealistic materialism, end of quote, which wanted to partner higher, higher magic with higher mathematics. By drawing on ideas from Rosicrucianism and Theosophy, it projected a vision of a future utopian society where both the human body and the human mind had evolved and which would go on to influence the Russian Revolution in its search for a new man. In general terms, starting from Fyodorov, the cosmists, 
which included numerous philosophers and poets and artists and scientists and medical doctors and so on, believed that the evolutionary development of humanity is far from complete and thus that our main task is to evolve further. So the common task would involve a total reorganization of social relations, productive forces, the economy and politics for one single goal, that of achieving physical immortality and material resurrection of anybody who had ever lived, uh, so that all humans that had lived would live again, here and now in the present, and not in some transcendent beyond, but resurrected through advanced science and technology from what Fyodorov called ancestral dust. He actually sort of pioneers Bakifola's idea about spaceship Earth, so you can build cones and take control of the electric magnetic field of the Earth, and then you can leave the solar system to collect ancestral dust, so you can resurrect, you know, Genghis Khan or whomever you want to resurrect. I mean, everybody, right? <laughs> so, basically, the cosmists they wanted to rebel against the death. They thought that if a solution to the problem of death can be found, then solutions to all other problems will be found. So since the capacity of Earth wouldn't be able to sustain, to sustain this immortal and resurrected population, they advocated the development of space travel and the colonization of other planets. One of the guys called Konstantin Tchaikovsky uh, developed the rocket. So it's sort of this esoteric uh, underpinning of space travel with Parsons going for rocket fuel and Tchaikovsky going for the rocket and boom, out into space or into space. Uh, but they advocated then the development of space travel and this colonization of other planets. In order to survive in space, they proposed a metabolic reconstruction, reconstruction of the biological body in such a way that it would be able to regenerate limbs and organs if they got pulled out in space, you know. So they, uh, also that we could regenerate limbs, we could exist without oxygen and derive energy directly from the sun, like plants do, and also that we would become androgynous in the sense that the need for distinct genders and sexual reproduction would end once immortality and the resurrection of all previous generations became possible. So the main themes of cosmism, it includes the active role played in both human and cosmic evolution, as well as the creation of new life forms, including a new level of humanity. Furthermore, it included this serious scientific research into matters long considered subjects fit only for science fiction and occult literature, um, as well as the emergence on our biosphere of a new sphere of human thought they called the noosphere. Um, so, at the same time, the, insistent, uh, the insistence on transforming the given world is an example of an eschatological historiosophy that links cosmism of the 19th and 20th century to the age-old practice of magic and alchemy. Um, one of the key so-called biocosmist thinkers was Vladimir Vernatsky, who developed this theory of the biosphere or living matter that is evolving into the noosphere, thinking matter, which would go on to inspire Teilhard de Chardin, who followed, he, he followed all his lectures in Paris. So it's sort of also linking it to more popular consciousness studies of the 20th century with Teilhard de Chardin and Catholicism. This is also very Christian, right? The idea about resurrection and immortality, uh, to, uh, like, um, like Russian uh, Christian What's it called now? The church. Orthodox. Yeah, the Orthodox Church. Uh, so it's sort of like a heretical strain in uh, Orthodox Church thinking. 
anyhow, according to Vernadsky, the noosphere will be the first time mankind becomes a major geological force and is thus a sort of positive view on what we today call the Anthropocene. Um, just to flag that, uh, as inhabitants, first and foremost of the planet, hu human beings owe allegiance to the biosphere more than to any nation, ethnic entity, economic class or system, which makes a lot of the cosmic thinking relevant today, since it was built upon these notions of kinship or companionship, that we had kinship with plants so we can sort of like survive through photosynthesis. Uh, to put it in other terms, that we put Earth first instead of humankind. Um, like Fyodorov, Vernadsky was convinced that one of the steps in man's eventual evolution would take him through a state where the depletion of resources in the biosphere will not permit humanity to continue to live as it now lives, and that at some point in the future, humanity will have to change itself radically or perish in a much degraded biosphere. The solution is through a science much, much advanced over today's, which involves the ability to alter the physical and chemical makeup of the human constitutions so that we could subsist as plants and bacteria now do on air and sunlight instead of on living matter. So all the cosmists in general, to sum it up a bit, followed Fyodorov's teaching that knowledge must be active, whether it be spiritual or scientific, and at the same time they subscribed to this sense of wholeness, a view that man and the cosmos are interrelated, that the individual and the community complete and fulfill each other, that life is in one way or another present throughout the cosmos, or, and that whether called God or ether, some other term, a supreme source and support of life and energy, is present throughout the cosmos. Um, I, will I will come back to this term called world building like, uh, at the end of my talk, but I also just want to add in here that to a certain extent the cosmos, uh, the cosmos they are God building, so they're actually sort of creating the universe as a god, maybe due to the lack of god, right, uh, talking it into Christianity and the death of uh, god and all this kind of stuff. Anyhow, uh, they also shared a sense that the present state of knowledge is inadequate and that by searching through the past to find knowledge applicable to the future, we may find that currently disparaged and currently unimagined sciences, alternative science, parascience, pseudoscience, can assist or supplement what we need to know. Um, they wanted to consciously plan to overcome the natural, social, sexual and other limitations of our species, and this search opened it up for an approach related to speculative fiction. Uh, where one example I've been interested in is this fella called Dougal Dixon, who uh, he wrote a future zoology about, it's just called After Man, how animals and plants will evolve after man doesn't exist any longer, and a future anthropology called Man After Man. Uh, he was a paleontologist, and he sort of took this approach to studying dinosaurs and speculate five million years back in time and turned it upside down and then began to speculate on this sort of like evolutionary science, what will happen for the next five million years into the future with plants, animals, and humankind. And he has this speculative narrative, uh, which isn't 
proper cosmist, as he's not thinking in immortality, but he's having this idea that in the coming 200 years, mankind will split into two, the ones who leave for space and the one that stays, stays behind. And the ones staying behind will then evolve further in various habitats. So some will become water dwellers, some will come, become desert dwellers. And um, then in five million times, the two strains, the one who left for space and the one living on planet Earth, will meet again. And it's the sort of high climax of his uh, fiction. But I'll just show as an example uh, from him this idea he calls the vacuum morph, which is this uh, human. And notice the human skeleton, but it's still a, a human laying in here. But the, the vacuum morph, in 200 years' time, this will be the pinnacle of genetic engineering that will be able to survive through space and therefore launch us into space. So this... Uh, kind of human will be the future of humanity, but it will have no future in itself as it has no reproductive organs. It is just only there to launch us into space and will then uh, sort of die out. Um, and I think that is uh, kind of uh, beautiful. And it's uh, just a weird being. It's, uh, it's communicating telepathically with the, the hairs in its uh, head and all these kind of... Uh, he has a little, this little notion of uh, what it can do and also that it's in in 200 years, this will be a type of post-human launching the two major strains of humanity in this um, thing, right? Uh, and that is for radicalizing the, the speculating about radicalizing the body. And I'm also going to, now for the rest of the talk, I'm going to address radicalizing the mind, where today the configuration of the economy as a cybernetic information system has made, has made the mind and its discipline as important as the discipline of the body was to modes of capital organized around industrial production, which then suggests a further shift from the body to the unconscious as another needed location for utopian investment. Uh, so while Fyodorov developed cosmism, the psychologist Richard Buck published Cosmic Consciousness, a study in the evolution of the human mind in 1901. And Buck synthesized esoteric ideas, but placed these concepts within a secular framework of psychology, which this sort of approach of taking esoteric ideas and sort of uh, scientifying them or whatever you call it, uh, points forward towards Timothy Leary, who had this multifaceted theory of cybernetic uh, circuits of the mind, eight circuit, uh, the eight circuit model of consciousness, I think he called it, which he outlined in this book he calls Info Psychology, which he saw as a navigational guide for, pilot, for piloting the evolution of the human. Um, and Leary, alongside Robert Anton Wilson, uh, developed what they called the Smile Project, where Smile wanted to show that reality is mutable and that the future can be created through reality tunnels that will hack our brains. So this is a futurism, the futurism of Wilson and Leary, that is concerned with the evolution of conscious, consciousness, which through that point to what more or less contemporary cyberculture and contemporary discussions about a sort of enhanced post-humanity, which along the way blends elements of esoteric gnosis with alien communications, genre fictions, and psychedelic metaphysics. Um, 
And as you can maybe hear, I'm very interested in this, these ideas about what, how we picture a post-humanity today, also in order to sort of criticize uh, some of the ideas of transhumanism and Silicon Valley-based ideas about these, the one percenters taking off into immortality. Anyhow, central for Wilson's concern was what he called Operation Mindfuck, which was based on the premise that who you are and what you think you are is a creation edited and orchestrated by your brain, which led him to evolve a series of brain change games where, among other stuff, two becomes one and sort of like esoteric notions of uh, uh, identity and also William Burroughs and this kind of stuff we can talk about later if it is. But among other methods, Wilson relied on Leary's eight-circuit eight-circuit model of consciousness, which stresses the role that crisis plays plays in producing chains. Uh, because he has this, for example, in uh, in uh, Prometheus Rising, one of Wilson's, uh, I think it was his PhD, actually, he's talking about how to brainwash a subject, how to brainwash people, and how to create a new mental imprint, which is basically to reduce the subject to a state of infancy, which would correspond to what Lyris calls first circuit vulnerability, the bio-survival circuit, and by reducing people to this uh, state or this level through shock or trauma or crisis, uh, they become uh, uh, impressionable. For uh, You can give them a new mental imprint. It's sort of like a countercultural idea that also ties into Charlie Manson and these kind of notions of like fear is the great teacher, not that it is the only way to do it, obviously. But it's also, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the eight circuit model because it stresses that evolution, maybe both for consciousness and for the body, comes in quantum states with energy levels and reality dimensions lacking in the previous state, in the new states, where the new state will be totally unpredictable from what came before, that it'll just leap, so to speak. Um, and this, model, this interest in modeling consciousness and speculate in achieving higher states of it, higher circuits, the top four circuits in Leary, is related to a general concern for both the cosmists and the counterculture that change also involves a new way of thinking, a kind of maybe logic or neither neither if we're talking spare and these people, but a kind of thinking that maybe is closer related to magical thinking than it is to this causal cause and effect thinking of science, where instead of just being depending on causal relations, it's more open for similarities, synchronicities, correspondences, associative leaps, image thinking, instead of always relying on this linear structure of the sentence and language as we sort of use it. So, to conclude, it is on the one hand possible to translate these ideas about the cosmic into some general theory of everything that randomly blends such subjects as the future of humanity, spirituality and technological progress, but on the other hand it can also be seen as a forerunner to these various ideas we have today about new materialisms, transhumanisms, uh, our Silicon Valley inspired ideas about technological singularity, cryogenics, genetic engineering and so on. Uh, and a more theoretical part of is it these, these ideas about kinship that goes into thinkers like uh, Eduardo Viviero de Castro and some of these newer, more anthropological-oriented thinkers, uh, Donna Haraway, people like this, who argues for a permanent, permanent decolonization of thought and that the idea of science as, of, of having, as having sole access to universal truth, truths needs to be challenged. 
uh, it can also be thought of as a kind of speculative, speculative fiction, a theory fiction, which is the final thing I would like to address, because that to speculate is arguably always something that carries a hope that something will break into the established order and rearrange it. So by speculating, we get the possibility of confronting what we do not have words for, since it is often outside our shared horizon of experience, which is to say that speculative fictions are world-building, uh, to use a term from science fiction. They create another world for us to speculate through various scenarios, looking for other ways to rig the world. When a paradigm shift occurs, the whole world is remade, as Robin Anton Wilson was fond of saying. So world-building is a way of saying that the most effective way of treating the world today or the role of humanity in it is to assume that everything is a complete fiction and that empowerment is about gaining the opportunity to rewrite the script or actively produce new meanings. So the philosophy of the common tasks called to redistribute vital forces resembles what Foucault famously called biopolitics. Myths and fictions, the stories we make to create meaning of the world, are one of the ways we are sort of biopolitically controlled by the state, or control, as William Burroughs would have called it. But at the same time, this terrain is one of the places where it's possible to formulate alternatives and resist the dominant tale by cultural means. So I guess that's a call for more poetry in the world. Um, it seems to me that the contemporary interest in cosmism, science fiction, theory fiction, hybrid genres, all this kind of stuff, points to the fact that our, that our political and ecological situation desperately are calling for new stories to be used for navigation, where the discovery of multiple pasts open up for thinking about multiple futures again. Maybe not as much in terms of cause and effect as in terms of of similarities. With that, as a concluding note, I would like to once again give the word to Robert Anton Wilson, raw, who was fond of who was fond of declaring that the future exists first in imagination, then in will, then in reality. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a lecture by Dr. Kasper Obstrup. Join us on Sunday, November 21st, as he presents How Weird Is That? on the revival of weird literature, alongside Icy Sedgwick presenting The Face of Fear, Faces in Gothic Horror Films. Register at morbidanatomy.org slash events. You can also follow Morbid Anatomy on Twitter and Instagram at Morbid Anatomy. That's M-O-R-B-I-D-A-N-A-T-O-M-Y. You can visit the Psychoanalysis Art and the Occult main website at psychartcult.org for links and more information. There, you can also find links to lectures given at our other Psychoanalysis Art and the Occult events, including our conference in London in 2016 and our conference in Italy in 2019. There are videos of these events also at YouTube. Visit Tripart Films' YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash c forward slash 
Trapart Film. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film. Follow Dr. Obstrup on Instagram and Twitter at Casper Obstrup. That's K-A-S-P-E-R-O-P-S-T-R-U-P. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. And now, the awareness from White Stain's album, Single-Minded Dualisms, singles from 1987 to 1989. Available at Highbrow Low Life's Bandcamp page. Visit highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com or whitestains.bandcamp.com. Enjoy. Revelation, a focus don't trigger to make. 